Okay, this is part two of our EV night that we hosted via Twitter Spaces, where we had a panel of speakers from the FinTwit community, all of which are knowledgeable on the EV sector. And we also just opened the floor uh, to anyone who wanted to participate from the general audience. So if you didn't listen to part one, it's okay. You can always listen to that in another time. Uh, lastly, just note that we put the timestamp of each company at what point we started talking about them in the description of this episode. So if you want to just fast forward to a particular company of interest, you can do so by simply looking at the timestamp in the description. Hope you enjoy it. If I may, I want to uh, move this thing along to Fisker. I know there's a lot of loyalists in this. I will be um, candid with everyone. I'm a pessimist. We've had conversations with Fisker. We've tried to do an interview with them. They were receptive to it. They didn't have a vehicle ready. Um, but for all the right reasons, people are bullish. They have great relationships with major auto suppliers, including a contract with you know the manufacturer Magna International. And so... You know, this is one company that's up in the air. It's an EV startup that was one of the early ones. Um, some people find it more legitimate, um, one of the more legitimate entrants in the universe of electric vehicle startups, um, while others, you know, cast some doubt. Henrik Fisker has a credible background and experience in bringing cars to market. They have pivoted towards, you know, the SUV market with the ocean that they're planning to deliver before the end of 2022. Um, I don't know where to begin on this. I, I don't want to um, cast shade on this, but I, I'm eager to hear where, what other people have to uh, say about this. Stock Talk Weekly, do you have an opinion on uh, Fisker? Do you have any doubts? Do you have uh, any advice for you know interested parties investing in this company? what the outlook might be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've been talking about Fisker for a while. I, I've never owned any of it. Um, I think when you're talking about some of these emerging startups, it's, you know, really a lot of people's opinions are really just informed by bias. Most of these are very hard to distinguish, especially the pre-production startups. I mean, you know, barring, any citation of major partnerships or specific IP advantages, most of these pre-production EV startups are pretty hard to compare. But what you can compare is their strategy, or at least their intended strategy, right? So, um, you know, comparing Lucid and Fisker, I think, maybe isn't a great comparison, but for the sake of just outlining my you know, outlook, I, I, I'll use those as examples, but, you know, their strategies are very different. Like Lucid, for example, is focused on developing intellectual property and then taking that intellectual property to market in a vertically integrated fashion. Now, maybe down the road because of their superior technology, they may find that, you know, it, it's more beneficial to them to license that technology out. 
We'll see. That strategy could develop. But at least initially, it's about developing the intellectual property advantage and then leveraging that by being a vertically integrated manufacturer. And hopefully we'll see more about that on Monday and Tuesday next week. when you know I say the same thing, brother. AMP, one facility, I'm sure we'll see more detail on how they intend to do that. But then Fisker, on the other hand, you know, their strategy is to essentially be a vehicle design company who then goes to their major manufacturer and and build the vehicles from there. Now, the immediate advantage that gives you is price point, obviously, because, you know, there's no burden of design cost and, you know, all the things attributed with that marketing costs and all of that, uh, that none of that is, is put onto the manufacturer. So, you know, they just negotiate the lowest possible price to build out an already blueprinted vehicle and then resell that same vehicle at whatever margin they deem appropriate. Now that model can work in a, in a lot of industries. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying yep. that it can't work in electric vehicles, but I just find personally that when you're scaling something that already knows how to be scaled, like uh, an example you can use for this is, Let's say you were starting, uh, you know, a jewelry startup, okay, and you're making rings and bracelets and necklaces, let's say. Totally random example, but let's just say you were. You could go to an existing manufacturer who makes jewelry for other people, and that is a defined production process. We've been making jewelry in factories for a long time, and so, you know, they can streamline that process for you, and you can probably get away with scaling with that production partner and not having a measurable change in your increase in your costs, you know, as you scale up. And that can be a successful model. You know, companies have done this, like, you know, people have heard of MVST watches on Instagram, maybe. And I don't want to get off too off topic, but I'm saying, you know, consumer retail companies have done this and have been successful in the past. But with vehicles, with electric vehicles, because it's an emerging industry, you know, consumer choice is going to be the main driving factor of market share initially, because with 3% market penetration right now, to get that other 97% of the, you know, of car buyers to buy an electric vehicle, the most of them, at least to do so before the trend changes, if you want to buy an electric vehicle, you know, in the next five to six to seven to eight years, you're mostly going to be doing it by choice because, you know, gas infrastructure and, you know, internal combustion infrastructure is going to stay in place for at least another decade, probably a lot longer. And so, you know, buying an electric car is, is, is going to be very consumer choice driven. And obviously every industry is, but I mean, it's going to require, you're going to have to propel people to make that change. You know, most people who own vehicles have been driving gas powered vehicles for a long time. And so to, to encourage them to make that change, you have to make a compelling product. Now, I'm not saying Fisker is not a compelling product, but I'm saying once you get to scale, you have to make changes in the supply chain. You have to make changes sometimes to the actual vehicle. You may have to take out a component that was in one of your earlier models that you realized wasn't worth it. Or maybe you weld together two additional components that were originally five different pieces or whatever it may be. There are design, manufacturing and production choices that need to be made to scale more efficiently and to cut costs when you're producing vehicles in the scale of millions of vehicles at once, you, these small decisions and production decisions can really impact your bottom line. 
that's how Tesla has dramatically improved their bottom line from where they were, you know, five years ago is because they have full vertical integrative control of the entire process of making the vehicles. And, uh, you know, that wasn't the case with batteries at one point, And now they're even getting there with batteries. And so when you look at a company like Fisker, not only will they not have that vertical integration control over their battery systems, which, as everybody knows, is the most expensive part of the vehicle, but they won't have that vertical integrative control over the actual bodies of the vehicles either, yep. which means that, you know, there's so many, they're basically at the behest of their manufacturer. And I think that's a huge problem for scalability purposes. You know, I'm not saying they can't be a profitable small company, but I don't see them as a, a company that maybe even should have gone public personally. And maybe that's harsh to hear for a lot of people, but you know, I know there's a lot of funding out there, so it makes sense. If you're an electric vehicle startup right now, you can get a crazy valuation that you wouldn't have been able to five years ago and that you probably won't be able to five years from now. So, you know, it's a sweet spot. So I get it. I get why a lot of electric vehicle companies are going public. But to me, I just don't understand the, the, the you know, the case behind Fisker, especially over, you know, if you really want to own a pre-production electric vehicle company, I would tell you to own Lucid or, or Arrival instead. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Well, I think these are all incredibly great points and primarily based on you can't argue with with what we already know to date, you know, suppliers and these disruptions and supplying um, components to these electric vehicles has been an ongoing problem for the past 10 years. And so while we understand the logic behind, hey, we're going to go through third party OEMs to, you know, provide this and the other. um, you're able to achieve, you know, a lower price point, thus meeting, you know, the the the, the price point for the lower social lower socioeconomic class, sell volume, but you could easily fall short with some of these dis- disruptions that we're already aware of. So I think all those are great points. Uh, Let I appreciate me take the uh, devil's advocate here. Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, one of the things that that why you're right about the vertical integration, the problem is especially if you're making if you're in a manufacturing business is capacity is not a you're good everything up until that point uh you build you know the capacity right now of amp one is twenty two thousand vehicles a year um so that means if they're going to be making cars less than twenty two thousand vehicles then the cost of the car will be greater um one of the things that Fisker does not have to deal with here is is that since they're they're going out to a major manufacturer, Magna, um, that they pass that cost off. Um, there is another auto manufacturer that looks a lot like this. That's Subaru. Uh, Subaru is actually, if you'll notice in their emblem, it has five stars. Those five stars are Toyota, uh, Honda. Mitsubishi, I can't remember the other two brands. They're five stars, the, the companies that came together and put together a car basically as, as, through a contract of the basics of these other items. Now, that doesn't quite apply to Fisker, but the one thing here is is that Fisker does not have a strangely placed manufacturing spot in Saudi Arabia. That doesn't make sense for Fisker. They're going to be made in Australia, um, but that's for that for the uh, 
their market is not going to be the American market either. Their market's really that 2025 date of uh, of Europe. So personally, I'm I'm not as I'm not as scared of some of the things that Stock Talk mentioned. I agree with a lot of them, but I do think that there's some mitigating factors. And one of the mitigating factors is is that they don't have to make 22,000 cars. But people, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves with Lucid here. Lucid is going to make 500 cars, right? That Dream Edition. That Those cars, even at 169,000, when that's all you're making, those are called halo cars in the industry. When you're making those, those cars are all at a loss. And the reason they're at a loss is you're geared at your size of your plant, all the electronics, all the electric formations, air, the air conditioning, the heat, everything about your plant is made to make 22,000 vehicles, not 500. McLaren is a car company who we do not see as a mass production car company, for example, makes 500 cars a year. Notice that their cars are considerably more expensive than even the Lucid Air. The Lucid Air, those halo cars, as they're known, is meant to have pictures, and there's going to be a side of uh, probably a, a Saudi prince taking delivery, uh, maybe some uh, sports star taking delivery, a rap star. I'm taking delivery. I'm not that rich, but I'm taking a delivery. It's a hundred thirty thousand dollar car, same price with Tesla Model S. You know, you yes. can just easily finance it. And I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, man. I mean, I'm a, I'm you no, know. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, no. Go ahead. I'm I'm just I agree with the stock. You know, um, stock talks as he was mentioning. There's a cheap shortage, and all these companies that you have it on the list, like 18 of them, 30 percent is not gonna make it, man. There's a big time cheap shortage, production issues. They're trying to make a cheap car, the cost of the car, and you know, the profit margin is so low. Tesla has been struggling for years and years. They were almost like bank, you know, bankrupting, literally. So they were they were making money from a government government incentive for $7,500 that they were providing it, which Lucid is not able to get it as of now for the infrastructure package that Biden proposed. It, it's only allowing up to $40,000 MSRP cars for that $7,500 credit. So Tesla has been using that credit because there was no limit before um up to 200,000 up to first 200,000 dollar cars got I'm sorry up to 200,000 cars got 7500 dollar um tax credit so that was the pure profit they were getting it and then um even though that they struggled it so i can't imagine all these you know startups trying to be profitable because as far as an investor wise, like I'm thinking all these like behalf of hundred people over here. Why are we talking all these companies? Because obviously we want to make money, right? We want to make eventually like three to five years. But if these companies are not profitable and they're just burning, you know, and stocks is just just hanging around like Tesla two years ago. So no one's going to really invest it. I'm just being well, honest with you. You know, the, the no. point is not making a cheap car. You need a mass production to be profitable with those cheap cars. Vice versa, Lucid is, as the CEO was in the interview, was saying that the reason he doesn't want to compete in the future with Tesla 3, Model 3, because he said he doesn't want to do low-margin cars. He'd rather 
do less production because he can't be capable of doing large amount of production like Tesla and um, try to compete with, you know, compete with them. He said, I'd rather do luxury segment, less amount of production and be profitable and focus on the theater, you know, segment like aircraft or, or um, the, the other, the other kind of vehicles like he wants to focus. So I'm just being honest with you. I like few companies out there, obviously, like Ford and Rivian and Canoe. Maybe they were at the um, they were at the Hampton with the Lucid for the um, auto show last week. Um, they're trying their best, and um, but I'm just being honest. Thirty percent of these companies maybe not gonna make it. I mean, even well, investors yeah. not gonna get paid because they're not gonna be profitable. The stock is not gonna go up. You're not gonna make money. So all I, I you- care is yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You make a very valid point that you're absolutely right. There's going to be consolidation that happens in every marketplace, especially the new ones. But you can't have an EV marketplace without several players. Fortunate thing of a lot of the specs or EV players that we've talked about tonight, they all, a majority of them are very niche focused. And so there's a place for all of them in the market. Not all of them will list or will survive. I don't think Fisker does, but, you know, I'm Morgan not an Stanley expert. Things it does, actually. That's funny, right? I'm sorry again, but, I mean, you don't have Mercedes here. They're coming with the EQ series. You don't have BMW. You have those, you know, you don't have those all those German makers. They're going to be focused on EV. You just have all these startups. So the competition is going to be really big, actually, if you consider the existing automakers. And... Um, I don't know if it was like five years ago we were talking about this when Tesla was just starting. Yes, they had a you know they had a hit, but now now Mercedes is coming and BMW and all these automakers are coming. You know it's even it's crazy. Like I was with my friend's Toyota Highlander. It's self-driving, bro. Like literally Toyota Highlander is like it's crazy. I was shocked well, with Toyota. Mercedes will have 130 vehicles announced. That are all electrified. They'll announce 130 vehicles. Exactly, competition is big time. Like even the G wagon. I seen I seen the G wagon. I was like, damn, I pre-ordered Lucid, but actually G wagon looks good for the future. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, like I'm I'll feel bad for these companies, and you know, they have good prototypes, but let's see, you know, which one is going to be really successful. Yep. Well, my top three, I don't know what's your top three out of here or top five. People will want to know what they want to invest, actually. Um, everyone, I would love to hear your opinion, Rob, and, you know, as well as you. And um, probably I will definitely put my money on the Rivian and um, Rivian arrival. Lucid. We don't do price targets or no, not price uh, targets. You know, investment wise, like, you know, future wise, yeah. which one will make it? Just name out like five companies will make it out of this 18. Just tell me your top five. Why don't you run a poll on Twitter and I'm sure you'll get the data you're looking for. Only respectfully for the sake of just trying to move our our, um, outline forward. I, I want to move on. Uh, Teresa has something she wants to say. And just, okay. yeah. I appreciate all your insights. No, no, no problem. Just quickly, no problem. as far as competition goes, be careful with the China EV companies because China's already saying that there's too much and they're trying to find a way to combine them or minimize the competition. Yep. Consolidation. True. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that came out like a week ago. And, you know, I actually think it's a really smart move on their part. 
you know, they see all the big movers and shakers. They also know that there's an incredible opportunity with their manufacturing capabilities to be, a, a, you know, quite frankly, um, competition, direct competition to Tesla. I think it's brilliant. But I do want to move on to ChargePoint, a non-EV manufacturing, you know, vehicle manufacturer, and quickly just discuss, you know, we've got like eight more items on this list. I appreciate everyone's uh, patience. There's a lot of mental fatigue in this room. But, you know, ChargePoint, as some people know, um, has, I think, fallen 55 some percent since its December high. Now, mind you, that was in the, the height of the SPAC craze when everything was just like through the roof. But, um, you know, it's a very attractive industry that they're in. They're one of the largest, you know, charging networks. There's an argument to be made that ChargePoint stock, you know, got a little ahead of itself per se. And now it's at a discount, maybe. There's more room for upside for aspirational shareholders. They've got great strategic partnerships with the like of like Rivian um, and a handful of other companies. I'd sure love to pick the brain of um, Rob and some of our other EV. Oh, I see EV SPACs on here. I got to bring you up, man. You're very astute on this. Rob, do you have any comments on ChargePoint? Yeah, uh, real quick on that. I think uh, ChargePoint is yet to see its time. Um, Driving a Tesla, I have absolutely no use for ChargePoint, right? Um, Because I use the Tesla supercharging network. And with Tesla being right now taking up most of the oxygen in most of the EV space, you were looking at ChargePoint basically going on and charging Nissan Leafs. Uh, after that, you really didn't have a lot of electric vehicles they could charge up until recently. So the performance of ChargePoint gets kind of lost in some of the in some of the deal when they had nothing to charge, right? So give give charge point some time to some running space here and you know it's it's one of these things that uh, i'm going to kind of give a mystery here uh one of the things i have a question of the infrastructure bill is why was there any decision to put in charging stations uh please someone point to me where the the uh, government is putting gas stations they've never had so charge point is more of the idea i think that in the long run may wind up partnering partnering with uh, gas stations that are out there to uh to get to, to get some leverage and some you know runway because otherwise i don't know you know right now they have nothing to charge well so, here's that, the important here's the important takeaway that ChargePoint, their goal is to offer, you know, this comprehensive charging network and services, but it's for commercial customers, fleets, passenger vehicles too. But the reality is that commercial sales dominate its revenue mix. I think it accounted for like 75% of its Q2 revenue. So like, I think the ambitions are, hey, we'll be able to accommodate all electric vehicles. We're trying to build out this blueprint and footprint across the United States and maybe even, I, I don't know what their foreign ambitions are, but then, you know, transition into consumer vehicles. I know that 75 some percent though, of their Q2 revenue was from commercial um, revenue, which, Hey, go where the money's at. Right. I mean, how is going to be their future revenue 
when you have 500,000 charging station on your infrastructure package that they introduce. So the government is going to be also building charging stations. Oh, sure. Up to 500,000. It's kind of taking their business. Well, it's probably a part of their roadmap, right? They're strategically trying to position themselves for all of the catalysts and everything in between uh, that are to come, especially with the Biden administration and, you know, all these, uh, the blue, the blue stock, um, gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, there's a place for a charge point here. They have one of the larger char- um, charging networks. They have a lot of great, uh, strategic partnerships that you just can't argue with their prominence. And, uh, I don't have much more to share personally on charge point. Uh, but it is one of the stocks that I think now has been calibrated as far as value. It was overhyped and perhaps has reset at more fair market value. Um, I'm hoping Teresa is able to chime in here with a little bit of chart analysis on what she thinks. But uh, I'll give this one or two more minutes, and then I'd love to just expand quickly into the Chinese EV players. Sorry, I'm not looking at my computer right now, but as far as the chart goes, I'm a holder of ChargePoint. I've had it up and down through... 20s, 30s, because I'm a longtime holder. So um, I really think now is a great opportunity to buy if it perhaps dips to 19, which I don't think we're going to see again. Um, it's just over 20 now, though, so it's a really good entry point. Teresa, did they have pipe lockup expiration day because they're new IPO? I'm sorry, what? I don't know why. Did they have any um, lockup period for the pipe investors? I'm really not sure about that. I'm sorry. Okay, I was just looking for it today um, for the specifically charging point. Yeah, um, you I know, that's a good time to buy. Yeah, yeah. I, I just looked at the chart like last week because I was thinking, do I pull out and buy back lower? But I've had it for so long and held it higher that um, I really said, eh, it's not worth the, the tax if I end up, you know, selling it. Got well, it. gosh, if, if you're not following Teresa, you should. If you've been listening to any of her insights tonight she's uh she's on point so thank you teresa for all your contributions if i may oh you're welcome for the sake of trying to get to dinner at some point and thank you for everyone who's been on board we've been talking for two and a half hours now um our next point and we'll we'll spend however much time is needed on this the chinese-based ev manufacturers prominently neo Leo, uh, Lee Auto and Xpeng. Now, I don't know enough about Lee Auto and Xpeng, but I will tell you I'm, I'm a huge um, advocate of NEO. If anyone saw the video I posted, they have a 45 or a three-minute, yeah, it is a three-minute uh, battery exchange system automated. You literally pull a vehicle into, you know, very similar to like a Jiffy Lube, and this automated process just pulls your battery out, does a quick swap on the vehicle, and then you're off to the races with another one. Rob, I know that you have an opinion on this particular business model. I know personally for myself, doesn't make sense for consumers because people aren't holding these vehicles for more than you know five to maybe 10 years max. But commercial vehicles, if you think about performance you know longevity of of long driving span maybe instead of charging it makes sense to just have battery swap 
stations. But then how do you scale something like this? Um, Rob, I'd love to hear your insights on this. I know we've talked about this. Well, they have the, they have the model of uh, battery as a service. So uh, I, I like this a lot. It's uh, you buy the car, you lease the battery. Yep. Um, that that look. I mean, first of its right kind. Now, I've, I've had a car. I've had this, I've had this uh, Model Y for what a year and three months. Year and three months now. And w- it, this car right now, um, we went from three hundred and two miles on this Model Y to it's now I think two ninety two. Right, and that's with forty thousand miles. So you you lose battery capability. Well, that's that's a problem, right? Um, plus, let's face it, right now with every year, you're seeing new battery technology come on board, which is meaning you know you already think, wow, should have waited another year to buy a car. So with this, with uh, with Neo's model, I buy the car. And as the, as the battery needs change out and everything else, I, I, I pay and, and have, it gets recycled. Now, again, you can recycle the lithium ion of the batteries anytime. And so that absolutely kind of makes for a, a nice way to sit there and remove a, a fear of owning the car. Plus, for example, say I come in, um, you know, let's say I bought this. Let's, let's say this Model Y um, has that. So uh, I go back into the service center, um, having bought the car, and they said, "Yeah, you know what? We could change that out." Here, we have new battery technology that can snap in that same car, and instead of uh, 302 miles when you're done, now you'll get 350. It'll cost you a thousand dollars, and you're like going. Um, yeah, no, I'll take, I'll pay that extra thousand for a 50 mile range or whatever. And so that allows for an upsell and continued business. To me, this is pretty neat. Now, the whole Chinese car manufacturing scares the, uh, you know, shit out of me. I don't know, have a better way for it, but it does. It scares me right now because I don't know what's going to happen in the next year or two. Um, right now, especially when you're looking at uh, the submarine issue and, and the looming Cold War, um, China wants to move into European markets. Uh, the NEO uh, has started to move over there, and that's going to be a huge deal. Plus, uh, Polestar, who's still yet on your docket, yep. um, which is a great conversation there, is moving into China with uh, their manufacturing. So um, I don't know where this sits, and I don't know whether Neo will make it to America. There's been several spotted in the San Francisco and uh, L.A. area, um, but are they actually going to move in? I don't know because we – As well as Manhattan. Uh, another automatic never made it over I here. think they actually said that they're building a plant for Neo in the U.S., well, I, don't know if Biden, I want to know how the Biden administration will allow that, anyways, politically, you know. I'm not sure, but it's that's going to be that. an interesting conversation. Well, yeah, as far as, that's um, be as, far as ba- battery swapping, um, could I just tell you a little bit on a, based on an article um, that was on um, a couple of years ago? So, the reason Tesla didn't go forward with 
battery swapping um, because the more you use the battery, the degrading gets um, the ahead. So there was a there was an um, article about it that they were saying that they file a patent about the um, battery battery swapping, but they never they never went forward with it because of the degrading valuation of the battery. So I don't know why they stopped, but new I think I don't know if they still continue on that. Well, I think for- I was in the auto. I've been in the auto industry since early 2000 in manufacturing. And uh, one of the things that happened, it was so funny, was in the 2002-2003 time period was one of the first real EV discussions. And one of the models was charging. It was a different model. And the model was we were going to build uh, gas stations that have um, cars would come in and you – drop your battery and they put a new one in well first and foremost car companies can't agree on anything so damned if they're going to agree on a, a common battery and that wound up being an issue so that it never happened but anyways so that's that's one of the things that i keep thinking well i think it, Teresa made a really great point earlier that you know, there's a lot of speculation on the chinese market it's very unpredictable We all saw Jack Ma disappear for four weeks. I mean, if a billionaire can disappear like that, who knows what Xi Jinping and the the government's capable of. But I think there's something to be said about consolidation, what that, you know, entails for the rest of the EV market. I personally am an advocate for it. I think it will benefit all these Chinese players. For the sake of time, again, we're above or beyond two and a half hours of this this discussion which i'm incredibly grateful for but got to move on to the next um country per se polestar swedish space manufacturer not new uh to the market arguably perhaps the most well-positioned ev startup to really test tesla um they have Volvo harboring their efforts, providing a lot of the infrastructure for the development. And unlike pretty much all of these EV cars or manufacturers, they have vehicles on the road, like 17 some thousand. Um, They've been innovating for years with the Volvo line. I'm sorry, Rob, you had something to comment in here? They're they're making four to 5,000. Yeah. Um, their, Their numbers are, they are, God, and if this is going to pick, tick off a bunch of people, and I'm sorry. Do it. They're everything loose as they want to be. Um, they are absolutely a, a, a premium brand. They're a European pre- premium brand, which is what Lucid wants to be. They're uh, they're ab- they're actually making cars instead of uh, walking around and making videos and commercials. <laughs> That's they're my selling point. these cars. <laughs> Uh, and I'm and I and look I'm I, I'm a, I'm a I am not a lucid bear, but I am not I am a lucid bull a year from now or two years from now, uh, but but this company Polestar is absolutely on the roads and they're on the roads in Europe, which by the way, if you don't know this, Europe uses more of uh, has more cons- cars consumed a year than the United States. That that market's actually larger than the United States market, and by 2025, they have to be zero emissions. So 
they are sitting in the catbird seat. Plus, they have a Chinese manufacturing system uh, plant as well. So here's the two major markets. And here is a company who... Battery swapping is done. Again, oh, yeah. Well, they don't battery swap. Polestar is not talking about battery swap. So, but, so, but you're absolutely right. Case, they're just the China they're, is they're in a great spot. Yeah, China's uh, Xi Jinping holding group bought Volvo, I think five or six years ago, and literally said, "Hey, we love everything you guys do. We want to just provide horsepower for growth and commit to electrification of all of our vehicles by 2025." And hence, they've been able to start this subsidiary. Polestar Racing, uh, which they, you know, they brought back in in 2015. Uh, Polestar has been an innovator in a lot of the recent Volvo cars. But the most exciting and most intriguing part, other than the fact that they've got 10,000 plus vehicles on the road, is that they're building here domestically in Ridgeville, South Carolina. One of their plants of which Volvo and Volvo's already announced and Polestar has, you know, confirmed they've been producing their high-end um, electric performance vehicles, but particularly the Polestar 3, their SUV. So to date, right now, they only have the Polestar 1, which is a plug-in hybrid. It's their first model. And then the Polestar 2, which is an all-electric uh, product that entered production in, in March. Um, and Polestar is currently, you know, retailing those two cars. I think the Polestar 1's at like 150 grand. Meanwhile, the Polestar 2, the all-electric, is starting to retail around 59000 And it boasts a range of like just under 300 miles. Um, but it could also start you know, as low as 35000 in the 22, or 2022 model. So not only are they able to deliver on production, which uh, you, know, you can't argue that the infrastructure is there to deliver on the milestones, but the mm-hmm. economics of a $35,000, you know, exceptional EV is really intriguing. Um, and hence, that's why I think they're one of the leading electric vehicle startups. Um, and they're also partnered with Char- ChargeDoc or ChargePoint. Trading, trading, it, trading it NAV. They're trading it NAV right now. Well, that's assuming that that rumor is correct. They'll be you know, merging with GGPI, the Guggenheim um, acquisition group. Um, but I think it's fair to say, if you look at the track record of Bloomberg rumors on SPAC mergers, um, they generally pan out. And I think anywhere between 45 and 90 days. Now, mind you, this one has been going on for a while. Um, there just hasn't been enough coverage on it, but I think it's safe to assume that it does. The other exciting thing about Polestar that I particularly like, again, a design guy, um, and I look at the particulars, they're aiming to be like sustainably centric. The interiors of their vehicle are built on environment-friendly materials, including like recycled PET bottles, reclaimed fishing nets, recycled cork final. And the other cool thing is like they're aiming to utilize blockchain technology to track all of these vehicle components for, you know, arguably the most transparent supply chain of any other vehicle manufacturer, which I don't think anyone's done to date. So great technical spec, uh, great economics, 
great, you know, infrastructure, internal capability, horsepower backed by Volvo, which just ain't cars, folks. They do trucks. They do commercial construction equipment. They, they have everything under the sun that any EV company would want in backing, uh, you know, their new, their new venture. So I leave it to the floor to anyone else to chime in on uh, any other aspect of uh, a Polestar. I just have a question because I recently learned about Polestar through the SPAC, and I can't think of the ticker for the SPAC. Do you know that off the top of your head? GGPI Gores Guggenheim, and it's at a $25 billion valuation. Now, mind you, this isn't confirmed. This is rumored. The other thing you need to be mindful of, that's at a 38X ticker. GGPI. GGPI. Gores Guggenheim. Okay. But $25 billion valuation. Now, this is Bloomberg. They're pretty on point here. Uh, But that's at a 38X you know, multiple of their 2020 revenue of just 600 million. Now that's rich on paper. And just for reference, Tesla is currently trading around 20 times its 2020 revenue. So 38 X compared to 20 X, you know, I think for me, that's a hard pill to swallow. And we think about these um, SPACs that D SPAC and they, you know, have these significant, you know, declines I'm bullish on this. I love Polestar. Heck, we have a Volvo, but I I just I can't get on board with this valuation. It's too rich of a multiple, despite everything um, that they're doing, which I, I couldn't be more excited about. But it further validates, and I'm sorry for rambling here, just how overvalued the entire EV market is. Unless you have vehicles on the road like Polestar, I think Polestar is the most well-positioned vehicle you know, manufacturer out in the market. You know, if they're at 38x, what is what is Lucid? What is Fisker? What are the rest of these manufacturers? Presents a huge question mark there, and I need a martini just to process. I will. I will definitely wait for a pipe lockup investor like sell off, like happened in Lucid. That's where you get the bargain. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to see all these people, bag holders over here, just buying now speculation unless they want to gamble it. But it's an easy way to go to Vegas. But um, I will rather wait, complete the SPAC, sell the news. God knows what's going to be the valuation. Same thing happened with Lucid. It was $20 billion, $15 billion, Then it ended up being $40 billion. 40% drop overnight. You wake up, 40% drop. I've seen it well, with my own eyes, man. 40% drop. And then it didn't stop. It kept dropping and dropping and dropping. So wait for me. a high lockup expiration date on that spec that's that's the way to go well you're absolutely right well you can buy you can buy it right now below now yeah so if you buy it at 992 you could actually sell it for 10 yeah, but you yeah, don't know if it's gonna happen. make money <laughs> but you don't know if it's gonna happen it's a game it's a gamble it's, we're well, talking no, no, about there's no gamble. talking about gambling you know it's two different things well, it's not it's not gambling right now because if if you buy it at 992 when it merges, you can you guarantee it ten dollars. Yes, yeah, yeah. So instant profit. Yeah. You just luck up. I mean, you hold profit. your money on some place that you don't know if you can make money or not. I mean, it's time is important for. I'm a day trader strictly, man. I mean, I'm just being honest. I like the EV topic, and I I joined it because Alex was here, and then um, but 
Yeah. I mean, that's important. Yeah. Okay. Hey, let right, me if, if I may, I just want to conclude on Polestar and only for the sake of time. The one thing that everyone is mindful of, the company has ambitions of doubling its global retail stores to 100. So 100 retail stores all across a lot of metropolitan markets. And they also want to add more service centers, like 60 plus more drive test centers by the end of this year. So a lot of upside, a lot of growth, and perhaps that's reflective in their valuation. Again, all this is speculative. Everything's rumor-based, so we got to just keep a pulse on it. For the sake of time, we are moving on to Tesla. Hey, guys, which... uh, before you move on to Tesla, what do you think about Lightning e-motors? You know what? Respectfully, and I, I genuinely mean that, we cannot acknowledge that primarily because it's i've almost been on this call for three hours and this guy's got to order some chinese food delivery tonight <laughs> okay so but hey you know what if you tweet me or dm me i'll run a two minute pump or something on it we'll 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 cover it i promise you all right thank you so much dana dana yes. can i just quickly can i just quickly finish off uh poster because i'm your adam my biggest advocate let's go <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm based in the UK, so I'm Europe-based. Um, I don't know if you read the news coming out of Norway today, and they're saying from 2022, which is next year, 1st of Jan, they're actually going to be limiting the amount of sales that are non-EV. And I'm just tying that into Polestar, because if you look how close Norway is to Sweden, where Sweden, Polestar's yeah. coming out from, I think that's a big, uh, a big positive for Polestar. And the other thing is, just quickly, the IPO. I know Bloomberg said they're um, coming to SPAC at 20 billion valuation. But if you look at the Volvo, I think they're coming to IPO as well at 20 billion. So well, I don't the think... Exciting, the, 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 the thing that you need to be mindful of is, I think of all of these countries, I think Volvo is the leader in EV adoption. If you look at total market share compared to com combustible engines i think uh norway's probably the leader i mean hence you saw that super bowl commercial that was made by gm with will ferrell in norway right so i uh I, there's definitely a correlation there and i think you're absolutely right with your logic that there should be some upside due to the close proximity between the two geographies i'm incredibly bullish on it we have a we got a, Vol a volvo already i think you know, I, I think we all eagerly wait for them to go public via the SPAC merger that Bloomberg is projecting. Is your top pick on the list? What does everybody see more of, though? Like, I'm based in Florida, so I see a lot of Tesla down here. So someone said they were from the UK. I don't know about anybody else, but everything down in Florida is Tesla. Well, for all the reasons, Tesla's been out for what twelve years. They've been producing cars forever. I mean, and yeah, the, and the front also, runner. whoever was from the UK, I'm I'm curious is is it the same out there? Yes, so that was me. So here I see a lot of Teslas and I see a lot of Volkswagens. To be uh, Volkswagen, yeah, but it's mostly Tesla at the moment in terms of EV. I know Polestar is actually they've got a few stores here, so they've been quite prominent. So I'm actually in Polestar as well because I think they've got. And then would you invest in Would you invest in them? In Polestar. Polestar, yeah. Yes, I've got a nine dollars eighty average. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think it's fair to say it's one of the front runners. It should be on everyone's watch list. 
that you should, this is one company you should expend some time and energy understanding their positioning in the, the realm of electrification of vehicles, especially for the future. You know, a lot of these EV startups don't have the horsepower, the backing, the harboring of, you know, a company like Volvo, uh, let alone the infrastructure and the, the geographical positioning. Uh, what is it, Clarksville, um, South Carolina or Tennessee? Rob, where they're building that plant? Whenever you're finished, I'll yeah, like it's to out. Yep. Yeah, Macrovast and the real key to, to looking at, and I, I, I provide, I want, I'd like everybody to, to, to not just listen to what I say, but double check, because my wife Googles me all the time, and she finds myself to be fraudulent from time to time, she says. But either way, um, one of the big key is uh, Bosch. All right. It, matter of fact, there's two companies in automotive that you want to look at, Bosch and Denso. If you see either one, any company has a partnership with Bosch or Denso, they have an inside track, right? And Microvast had their plant in Clarksville was a Bosch plant. And there's also, there's a lot of, a couple of things that stars are aligning and I'm trying to find, uh, I'm trying to connect a couple of the dots on this, but, uh, KP, I know some of you may listen to him sometimes on, on these spaces. Uh, he, he turned me on to a graphite company out of Chattanooga. Chattanooga is where the Volkswagen plant is in Tennessee. And that is going to become a strictly EV plant here in, I think three years. Um, Toyota, uh, Toyota is a question of mark, and I think they're going to start going EV, even though they 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 wanted to to say don't, you know, they believe e, uh, the EV is a bridge technology with the fuel cell later. But I'm waiting to see what happens here with Microvast and see if they have a get a connection with Toyota as Toyota starts to make EVs in the next few years, and I, I think too. Much of the landscape of the world uh, EV market will change. Um, most people are saying, well, Toyota didn't have an EV, EV experience. I argue that that Prius that's been a world-dominant car for now almost 20 years has has a uh, has an EV battery in it. And they're, they're experienced. They're kind of a sneaky, experienced company. Yes, they've been making Priuses with a small engine and it's a hybrid, but as much as anything, a lot of that is still an electric vehicle and has many of the same components. So as for experience on the street, don't discount Toyota manufacturing uh, and Honda. Those, I think, are going to be an interesting player. And I also wonder how the world will look when those guys start making EVs, because as a Tesla owner, since we're talking Tesla, um, Tesla... While I love my car, I get completely peeved off at the car company itself. Um, the fit and finish of the car is is absolutely suspect. Um, it's not you you they get away with certain things that other car companies simply would not allow to get out. I think um, they have a problem here in a few years of what does the what does Tesla look like when car companies 
that are uh, known for their quality start making um, EVs, especially Toyota and Honda. And then the question is for Lucid and all these other companies, why are you using the European car manufacturing methods when the Japanese uh, Atarami uh, uh, method has been shown to be superior in so many ways? Um, so I'm not sure why Lucid, for example, bragging about looking like a BMW or a Mercedes when uh, you look at return on investment, fit and finish, and everything else. I argue that uh, a Lexus is a far better car, um, and the, and the, the numbers coming back on on the cost of ownership, total cost of ownership, will will back me up on this. So again. These are companies I'm wondering why they're following these patterns. And you keep seeing the same companies being touted. I don't know why the Europeans have an EV lead. Okay. Sorry. Long way to get nowhere that, with that. But that's kind of my no, The Lucid is bragging about their luxury car or their car after the Tesla's production. So the reason some of the people, they don't, I mean, you pay $70,000, you're going to test the Model S and look inside, I'm sorry, you have a, you're a Tesla owner, but looks so cheap inside. So Lucid came up with the same standards with the luxury inside that they can bra brag about it. So that that was like, they, they came out, you know, they say that like, we're not going to be competitor to Tesla, we're going to be luxury segment. So that's what they're bragging about it, actually. It's not about, I, I don't really believe it. it's just packing up the battery packages and being efficient on a um, kilowatt. But I'm actually, the inside, I'm thinking inside is way better than a Tesla. So that's why they've been bragging about it and technology was better than I can Tesla. Tell you, that's why. I can tell yeah. you from personal experience, you may have seen our YouTube video. Alex and I were one of the few people before Bloomberg and all these major medias to go for a test ride in a, a Lucid Motors vehicle. The Lucid Air Grand Trio or Grand Suite, yeah. whatever that is. Long story short, it exceeded all of my expectations. Now, we were Can looking I... at every particular, all the little nuances, this, that, and the other, and incredibly detailed, all the way down to the smallest thing from the alpaca, you know, sustainable um, thing. They also, too, have a proprietary way of, you know, staining their leathers, um, the back seats. You know, I'm six foot tall. You could put three NBA players in the back seat of that vehicle comfortably and go for a six hour ride and there'd be no complaints. The other thing, too, is, you know, my 90 year old grandmother would all she have to do is with a flick of a finger, open up the back door because it has this mechanical system that just props the door open, you know, with this little bolt function, all of which is captured in this video in our ride. Um, you know, if, if there's anyone to follow on the Lucid Motors team and he's, you know, a stand up human being, but he'll acknowledge any of your questions. Derek Jenkins, he is the lead designer behind the brand, the company, um, everything, every little nuance of the vehicle. I encourage you to follow Derek Jenkins. We interviewed him. Um, as well as, you know, did our whole deep dive on our experience with Lucid Motors and driving the vehicle. So you're absolutely right. I've been in a few Teslas, you know, on the surface, sexy, sleek, and, you know, I'd, I'd drive a Tesla Plaid right now. But uh, I guess, I, um, Derek, that's his design, design experience from Audi. He used to work for Audi and Mazda. So, he's, you know, he's good at design. 
Fuck so, yeah. I, I love OODs. So. There's one more thing, guys, that everyone has forgotten or kind of ignores, Please. which is that Lucid has the technology, meaning they actually have level two autonomous driving, just like Tesla. Yeah. Everyone, everyone forgets that. This is the real reason most of us are Tesla owners. It drives it fucking self. Excuse my French. And um, the fact Lucid has it, at this point makes them a reliable contender i would say just because of that one thing that i don't think any other car manufacturer has that that software maybe well, neo they have to actually make the cars though cuz let me tell you right now you're looking at you know you're looking at at mockups you're looking at 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 prototypes and if you notice that it's not easy to go from those there's two types of mo- uh, there's two types of prototypes there's a there's an initial prototype which includes the mock-ups and everything else and those are are usually always destroyed because they're not good cars at that juncture they're they're meant to test certain aspects then the next type is the hardest one which is production prototype which is how you make the the machines that make the car and right now Getting through all that is is hard to time. It's hard to get through the the periods of testing. Right now, Lucid is very close to that production point, and I'm going to tell you that at that juncture, when they start truly producing cars, they're going to find it is not easy. And and you know, to me, that's going to be the uh, the test. If you make it through it, then again, I am absolutely more bullish than ever. I am a bull on Lucid. I am a bull, though, that thinks it's a year to two off, years off. I think so. The Lucid designed autonomous driving since 2017 or 18. They have a video trying the autonomous driving. 16, um, I think. 16, yeah. They have it on YouTube. So they've been working on this, man. I mean, they, they found it as a TV battery company in 2007, 2007 or 8 um, by Peter Rawlingson. And then. Um, he got funded by Saudis in 18 for a billion dollar. They own 63% of it. And then they've been trying, they, they've been providing a battery for Formula EV. Yeah. Folks, That's the next topic. Driving, <laughs> autonomous driving capabilities are not the feature set that's dictating sales right now. Yeah, it's cool, but we're still talking three to five years until we see major innovations in this. And I encourage you all to watch a most recent video that we did with the CEO of uh, AI. They're backed by Lockheed Martin, NASA, I mean, every big wig. They're doing autonomous technology. AI is the company, the letter A and then the word I, E-Y-E. But, you know, Peter Rawlinson, we did an interview with him, too. He'll tell you, hey, these are all... You know, it's it's nice to have, but it ain't coming here in the near future. And I don't think it dictates sales, right? I mean, are you buying the Tesla or the Lucid because you might be able to park your own car? No, you're not. I don't. I I I see the big picture, but that big picture isn't in the near future, and I don't think it dictates sales. And I mean, no. I, think I honestly be- reserve Lucid for the better future, for the future of my daughter. Literally, I, I say, I told my wife, like, you know what? We got to switch to EV because I want my daughter to have a future. This is not going well. So literally, that's why we reserve one. And then I like the inside, obviously. We were going to get an X-Car EV um, for the pollutions and, you know, you know what's well, going on. So to that, point, to that point, you need to follow Rob and I on Charge Talk because, yeah. 
I think the intention is great. Who doesn't want to help impact in the carbon footprint of combustible engines and the environment? But you need to be mindful of how these lithium ion batteries are extracted, lithium in general, cobalt, you know, killing people, small indigenous tribes of people in Africa and all over the world. Again, follow us on Charge Talk. Rob, you've been on here for three hours with me. We could go deep down this. We are publishing an article and a YouTube video tomorrow on this, the environmental impact of lithium mining. And I think once you're aware of this, it's it'll be so they've been Let's talking about it since tesla started you know being on oh, the yeah. and everything the past three years they've been talking about it you know then the tesla wanted to buy mining inside of south africa or somewhere over there um you know and then there were obviously arguments about it okay so you're trying to you know avoid the pollution and everything but then the lithium battery actually extracting is you know killing people and as you say that like you know but i mean hey whichever is worst like you, it's up to you, you know. I don't well, know. you can't argue I with. Think, I think in this, there is a I'm bigger environmental impact of producing electric vehicles right now than combustible engines, but there is a threshold that will be broken, and that'll eventually be solved. For the sake of time, I think we're going to bypass Faraday Future only because, like I said, I've been to Faraday Future. We've interviewed the CEO. You can watch our video on YouTube. I want to open up the last. Five minutes per se of this because we've been on for three hours and for anyone who's just joined any other final topics free form let's fire away here Acrimoto is one company that we didn't talk about ticker F-U-V that I am obsessed with F-A what? F-U-V fun utility vehicle okay what about about QuantumScape? oh my god QuantumScape. You, all you need to do is Google it. It's a great company, but as far as uh, innovation, they're not an innovative leader. And I'll tell you this, that I'm Stanley what? Whittenham is not on their board of directors. He's on the board of directors of Microvast. He's the inventor. Are you talking to us or to me? What? Are you talking about the QuantumScape or the... Teresa was saying about a company. QuantumScape is a battery manufacturer. He was talking right. about QuantumScape. I was talking about FUV, Acromoto. Yeah. Acromoto has, um, they're basically called fun utility vehicles because they're very small and they're very popular in California right now. And they're trying to um, get a market in basically like pizza deliveries and food delivery and things like that. Um, and I think they're going to be very, very successful. As it yourself. That's a Corolla problem. I love that. And I'm definitely going to look inside. Teresa, I'm glad that you joined us tonight because, uh, one, I'm following you now. And two, uh, I'm going to look into that. You should. Don't miss Uh, out. They just upgraded it, too, and gave it um, an $18 evaluation. But I'll be honest. I bought this company back in January at $6 and it went up to 30 and again it's a long time hold so I didn't hold it and it went all the way back down and it's coming back up. Right now I think it's around um just around 11.80 or something. Somewhere just under 12. Is it making It's Acromoto. The ticker is F as in fun, U as in utility, V as in vehicle. Yeah. Isn't Domino's a big player in this realm? I believe so. Yeah. 
folks, do your due diligence. Let's all uh, tweet each other to keep ourselves on point. That's part of being a great contributor of the community. Uh, EV Specs, I see you're just joining us. You guys should be following him or her. I don't know which gender this user is, but they're they're touching down on everything that we've touched down on tonight. EV Specs, I'm going to let you be our our conclusion tonight. Any final thoughts on the EV sector? Whoa, he became a listener now. All right. <laughs> well, how about that? Eureka, uh, we made it. Only three hours. Um, I appreciate so why everyone. Don't, why don't we say the top, before you close it, top three, your pick, your favorite pick. I really want to hear. What's your top three favorite pick out of this list that you would right. put your money on? Respectfully, we will go through every one of the speakers with their top three. And we're going to do it in one minute. One minute round table, and then I will mute you if you go beyond it. Just because this guy has to eat. I will say for my top three, and not in any order, I'm going to say standard lithium. Because you can pick your, uh, your horses for EV manufacturers. Or you can just go straight to the source and understand the demands. SLI, standard lithium, number one. Microvast, I think, is one of the leaders. And quite frankly, I think Ford or GM. Um, they've got the infrastructure. Or Tesla. That's mine. Rob, what about you? Well, I, would, I, I was thinking cars. Uh, I, I've got to say Ford this year because I think they've, they've impressed me the most. Expect them to. They've impressed me the most. I think Lucid is an exciting, sexy pick. Um, I am going to go against other people, and I'm gonna. I like Fisker, and maybe it's because I root for the underdog, um, and because I think it's it's a three cars. I said I, I got three. There's three, and also always SLI, and don't forget BWA, who makes motors. That's it. Love it. All right, Teresa, you're up next. Actually, my list pretty much miniatures. I have Tesla, um, lithium, and I'm not sure which company yet is best, but I would agree with you as far as value goes that SIL is definitely um, up on the list of number one there. Um, Ford, and I'm going to add two more. Uh, Microvest, and I'm telling you, Acromoto FUV. I love it. Teresa, you're my new favorite. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Adam, what about yourself? So for me, it's Tesla, Canoe, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but Lucid Motors, because I like, I love it. I am very confident that it is the Apple car. And if anyone wants to learn more about it, then I'll be posting some stuff after the event uh, next week. I just want to see what comes out of that event. But I have 20 tweets ready to go in draft mode of why Lucid is the Apple car. And that's partly one of the reasons why they're not so quick on autonomy because I think Apple will be doing that for them. And like you said, uh, Dana, Peter Rollinson said it's still five to 10 years out. So they're not in a rush just yet for Apple to come into the market. But I 100% believe Apple and Lucid have something going on together. Adam, I'd agree that that's the Apple car as well. Yeah, 100%. For all the right I mean, I, I like the fact that the before. stores are always next to each other. Here in Miami, literally, logos are up and down. Apple logo and Lucid logo, literally. 100%. That, that is the car. The same thing that Ford did with Rivian, that's what Apple was doing to Lucid. I think Lucid is a product of Apple under a new brand, 
Project Titan. It's been built from 2007. If you look at when Tesla was trying to get bought out by Apple in 2013, Apple put a bid in in 2013. Apparently, this is all room and speculation by senior analysts. That's exactly the same year that Peter Rodison left Tesla and joined Lucid Motors. Going back to Canoe, because I know we spoke about them. I was listening the whole time. They did the same thing. Apple wanted to buy Canoe. Canoe didn't want to get bought out by Apple. So what did Apple do a couple of months ago? They pinched the CEO from Canoe. He left Canoe and now he works for Apple. Trust me, I 100% believe Apple is lucid. Well, not to mention, and I will tell you this, you know, from speaking with Derek Jenkins directly on this, when you're personal and off the record, you can drive a different dialogue and you're able to interpret body language. And my takeaway is, and I think people need to be reminded, Johnny IV, the same guy that was responsible for every you know piece of hardware that's come out of Apple for the last 20 fucking years, is on the board of directors of Churchill Capital. Basically, Lucid Motors. Yep. Yep. And you think, exactly. gosh, he doesn't need to get involved in something like this. If it wasn't something of this nature, the writing is on the wall. And you can't, I mean, it's all speculative, but like, Johnny's made a fortune over the years. He didn't he didn't even have to work. You know, when Steve Jobs passed, he could have just retired and moved to Bermuda if he wanted to. But I think this is his, you know, his encore pivot. And it makes total sense. And if you ask me, you know, I love Derek Jenkins. I think he's incredibly talented. But being in the Lucid Motors vehicle, every little nuance just screams Apple. The little, it's so meticulously detailed to the finest tune. Again, we're speculating here. Who doesn't love to speculate with optimism like this? But Adam, um, I love that you're you're bullish on this. Everyone, follow Adam. I want to see those twenty tweets. And uh, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. If he is, good God, we're gonna make a shit ton of money. I've got a I've got a good quote for Johnny Johnny Ive, something yes. that he said. I've got it ready. I won't say it now because uh, I want to post it as part of my research. But um, yeah. you know the link is there, hundred percent. I love it. All right, Mister Dave. So, Ray, give all us right. My name three. is My name is Baron, by the way. So Baron, I, I've been day trading past three four years, and you know. Man, I've been waiting Lucid to go public for, for two, three years, literally. So I'm in love with this company. So here is like all the 50 listeners. You don't you don't just buy company. You buy the management team. We have like seven, eight. I say we have because I have, you know, I have 20,000 shares holding it for dear life, literally. So like we have three executives from Apple. We have seven or eight from the former Tesla executive. We have from Waymo, we have from Ferrari, we have from um, Intel, we have from Audi, Rivian, um, Hyundai, Tesla, you know, eBay, like everywhere. The management team is like, champ- it's like Champions League, bro. Like it's just, it's just amazing. The valuation, as part of, as part as valuation, yes, $40 billion valuation is next year's earning multiples. Like, 15, 20 times X multiples of next year. But the same thing happened with Tesla. But is it going to be happen? With, is it going to happen with, you know, Lucid? Hopefully, yes. You know, we're looking at $40 billion to Tesla, $700 billion. Who would you invest? 
not Tesla. I know the higher risk with Lucid, the production might go bad, the chip shortage, and um, there might be some recalls, the stack is gonna be bumpy road, but at the end of the road, it will be just, you know, you call it. It's just gonna be your retirement or your, your 401k, whatever you wanna call it. My three pick will be Lucid, I'm not sure about the, I like the poster. I've been researching since you guys talking about it, honestly, uh, at the same time. But if I didn't know that, I will go for a Rivian. Even though $80 billion crazy valuation, I will just wait for the stock to sit down and just just wait on it. So that will take the truck part and um, and um, arrival. So Lucid, Rivian, and arrival might be my you know, top three. Well, hey, I love it. We've expended a lot of energy tonight, three hours and 15 minutes. Um, my personal uh, account is just at Dana Donovic. You can follow me. I'm one of the founding members of Destructing. I appreciate everyone participating tonight. Rob in particular, who's been here since the very get-go, um, three plus hours again, a lot of mental fatigue, but we covered some great ground had some exceptional speakers. Teresa, a shining star, who joined us with some great insights, some very astute observations, and um, some great technical chart analysis. Um, Adam, love your uh, advocacy of what we're doing. I'll tell everyone this, that on Monday we are interviewing the CEO of Arrival, their chairman as well. And we're also doing a follow-up 3D virtual tour on Tuesday. So give us a couple days of video editing. Next week should be exciting in the realm of arrival. I wish I could tell you what else we have in the pipeline, but just follow, you know, disrupting, follow Charge Talk, follow Rob, follow myself. I'm sure half of you guys are already following Alex Cutler. Um, but again, thank you for everyone's support. Um, tonight it's been incredibly constructive and uh, we do all this for you we don't get paid uh, we do this out of enthusiasm and you know this is the one recreational you know activity that I'm excited to get out of bed for so I hope everyone's able to enjoy their evening and until then we will see you later <laughs>